All right, we are back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The plan is to, uh, to really dig deeper into specifically verses 6 through 18. Uh, before we did that, um, as I mentioned on, on Wednesday, today's Sunday, as I mentioned on Wednesday, um, uh, a comment was made, um, and I kind of referred to a couple of passages, but I didn't have those in front of me. And so I, I want to, um, probably for the next 10 minutes or so, go through a series of the passages that I paraphrased or referenced, and actually read them, because <laughs> that's, that's the way that we ought to do this, in regards to um, uh, a comment was made cautioning against turning the written word of the apostles and other inspired writers into something that it was not intended to be. And so what, what I want to do is I want to read through a series of passages uh, that I was alluding to, to ensure that we speak of and treat the written word only as God intends. No more and no less. Um, so what I would ask is uh, for you all to follow along. I'm going to read these passages um, pretty concisely, pretty quickly, and try not to give a lot of commentary in between. Um, and I would just ask any questions or comments, um, kind of save those un un until we've, we've gone through them. So, uh, come with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, this was a verse that I mentioned as far as Jesus um, sending the Holy Spirit. And so John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15 Jesus had said, I still have many things to say to you. He's speaking to his apostles there. This is the final hours of his life. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for what he will take. I'm sorry, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In John 17, just another chapter up in verse 17. This is what we refer to as his high priestly prayer. He's praying for those that he's going to leave behind. He asks God in verse 17 to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for, your, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so the same author of the Gospel of John, in his epistle, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, He says in verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So when we talk specifically about Paul, so that was John. But let's talk specifically about Paul. I've got many other examples of some of the other writers. 
but I wanted to focus there on Jesus' words as John recorded them and what John himself said about his words and his ministry. But let's talk about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we just studied this last quarter, so I'm going to try to do these uh, fairly quickly. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Uh, verse 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Later on in that same chapter, in verse 16, he says, as he says in numerous other passages, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, he's just finished the last couple of chapters specifically talking about how a worship assembly should be organized. What God permits and what God does not permit. Who's allowed to speak and who's not and how. And he says at the end of all of that in verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. In his letter to the Thessalonians, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul makes similar statements. In 2 Thessalonians, starting in uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says, To this he called you, Jesus, called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. In chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. In fact, that word is used three more times in chapter 3. Verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, Even as, even if, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. In verse 12, he says, No such persons we, now such persons we command and exhort, uh, encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then specifically in verses 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Paul and the other inspired writers of the New Testament were men given authority by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the word of God, the will of God. The written word is not merely relevant The written word is not merely an example. There is nothing about Jesus or his gospel, nothing about his sacrifice, his grace, and his mercy 
There's nothing about his desire that all people respond to him in faith and obedience that we know apart from what was written down. What was written down by these inspired men. And so as Paul said, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. And that's the way that we intend to study his letter to the Second Corinthians, to the Corinthians here. And that's the way that we ought to treat the rest of the New Testament writings. So I hope that helps clarify some of the things I was trying to say in the last few minutes of class. I'm happy to share this outline. I have 20 or 30 other passages that say the same from Peter and from the other inspired writers. They didn't view their letters as suggestions. They viewed them as authoritative. They insisted upon our following them closely because they weren't their words. They weren't their letters. They were specifically given to them by the Holy Spirit. And to treat them as any less is to offend the Spirit itself. Any other comments or questions about that? Mr. Brown? I'm just reminded of I'm just reminded of the, the scripture that we so commonly turn to that is all inclusive of the things that you have just uh, read to us. Uh, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, we're we're going to read something about Paul talking about his adequacy that he does not have uh, his lack of adequacy as we read into it starts at the end of the verse or chapter 2 and continues into chapter 3 that, and, and, and it, his lack of adequacy is because only God can do these things and that's all we have in our laps this morning, that's all we're studying that's all we gather together here right. on the first day of the week to take in these words and uh, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, by God through the Holy Spirit, whether it be the Gospels, the words spoken by Jesus, or as you so ably presented to us today, uh, the things that Paul has presented and then Peter and the other two wrote, uh, were, were inspired in the same way. And that's where we as a church family have hung our hat ever since we began that that's what's important. So we need to guard that and, and that it might guide us and protect us so we might eventually all be uh, standing before him with open, uh, open hearts and uh, clear consciences that we have sought in that way. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our desire is to please him. Our desire is to, uh, as, uh, for those who have opportunity to stand and, and, and to preach and to teach, I want to make sure that the words coming out of my mouth are, are his words. Um, yes, Tony. Yeah, I don't know if it's a debate over the authoritative 
Because absolutely, this is, it's truthfully, it's not a New Testament concept that was, that was never brought up in the old law, but finally Paul gives us an insight where God wants our hearts. Like that, that's been God from the very beginning. God has given rules and laws, commandments, but you read Malachi, you read Hosea, you read these prophets where God is like, look, you're doing the things 
Ah, but you've stripped out the heart of it. He tells the people in Malachi, I would rather you stop doing the things altogether because I know deep down you don't, you don't care about me, God says. I'd rather you shut the doors of the temple. God has always wanted us to do the right things with the right heart. And those things are not mutually exclusive. He's just as displeased if we do the right things and we don't care about him, we don't have the right heart. He's very displeased with that. He is just as displeased if we say we have the right kind of heart. But the letter in 1 John, I would encourage you all to read the letter of 1 John. Where throughout 1 John, he says, we demonstrate our love to God by what? By keeping his commandments. And he, he says, and, and again, I'll give you these passages um, later on if you'd like them. But he says, by this we demonstrate our love to God, if we keep his commandments. And if anyone says, I know God, and doesn't keep his commandments, he does not know God. And so God has always wanted both. We, we can't do one without the other. And we mustn't put one as more important than the other. Um, Paul certainly does not do that, and Jesus certainly does not do that. Um, is that? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there's another comment here, so I'll save it. Uh, Leanne, is that right? Or, no, I'm sorry. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. I agree totally. All scriptures are smart about God. But I don't think it's the whole, all of his writings because Paul himself even said, I say this, not the Lord. Certainly. It wasn't an inspiration. And the, when the Pharisees that he was filled with a demon, that's not inspiration. And even like when the men, the man, they healed, he brought the parents in, he said, we know that God here is not sinners. That's not an inspired person saying that. There's inspired portions and part that are not inspired, and you have to understand the difference. Well, I would be very careful to say that there's any part of Scripture that is not inspired. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, now concerning courage, I have no command of the Lord, but I get an opinion. Certainly. Certainly. But I don't believe that God would allow something to be contained in his written word that he disagreed with. Because then that's, that's a God of confusion, certainly. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to... So, he agreed that when they said he was still a demon, he agreed with that. The Pharisees said I, I'm not sure what, what passage are you referring to. Where he said uh, Matthew 12. 
Oh, when when those who heard Jesus assumed that. Correct. The inspired writer of Matthew, Matthew, gave us the the narrative accounts of what occurred. So so yes, that that is an inspired account of what occurred. It's not to say that every account of what occurred are examples that we should follow. You know, I'm not going to read I'm not going to read the story of Saul and assume I need to live like King Saul, right? But the story of Saul is inspired. I'm supposed to learn from his bad example and not follow that. What we're specifically talking about is what am I supposed to do with the epistles? That, that's what was brought up on Wednesday. What am I supposed to do with the epistles of Paul? What am I supposed to do with the inspired writers who claimed authoritative power over all the churches? Because that's what Paul does. What am I supposed to do with that? My choices are, my choices are to completely disregard it. I don't think anyone here is saying that. Or to say parts of it, he had the authority to say that, and parts of it, I, that's optional. Or, as I hope that I demonstrated, and I've got 20 other passages that say it, I simply will talk about their written words the way they talked about it. No more and no less. And so if Paul, if Paul insisted that the churches stand firm in the traditions that he delivered to them, I can't see anything different or beyond that. And if Paul, specifically in Galatians chapter 1, starts that letter by saying, this isn't mine. I wasn't given this gospel. This this was given to me directly from Christ. And then in verse 6 says, so if anyone preaches a different gospel than mine, he's supposed to be accursed. So, all I can do then is search and read to know what was the gospel that Paul preached. Because if I preach anything different than that, which is not anything different than what Jesus taught, it's not anything different than what Peter preached, it's the same gospel from the same spirit. If I go beyond what Paul said in his gospel, uh, I'm, I'm to be accursed. How do I know what Paul said in his gospel? How do I know? How do you know? Because it was written down in a codex. We know what that word means? It is a manuscript that was turned into a book. That's all that word means. It doesn't, it doesn't mean a, a legal document. It's a, codex simply means manuscripts put in book form. That's how I know what Paul preached. That's how I know what Jesus preached. That's how I know that Jesus was the Son of God. I don't know any of those things apart from this codex. And so I'm going to talk about it the way that it talks about itself. No more and no less. You've been very patient. Um, when you mentioned commandments, we're called to do any commands. Of course, I think everyone in here 100% agrees. I think sure. your question maybe sometimes is, what does that command look like? Well, you have an example of someone who asked him that. You know, when the lawyer came from the story of the Good Samaritan and said, what should I do? And he said, you love God and you love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And was big and impossible. Mm-hmm. And so he's seeking to justify himself, said, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to describe an elaborate love, um, something mm-hmm. so extraordinary for his enemy, for, you know, to get more than he would even need, to send me the bill, it's more than this, you know? Yes. 
his writings? Does he talk about them as an example? Oh, he I, does. I he certainly does. I mean, I agree that it's inspired. But, I'm not no, no, no. I'm, how, how does Paul talk about his writings? If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. If anyone goes beyond what is written, so I, I would just caution, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful. All we can do is talk about them the way they talked about them. No more and no less. And I absolutely agree with you. Love is the greatest commandment. Love God with our heart, soul, and mind, with everything. Give Him everything. And the second is like it. It's, it's, it's akin to it. It's together with it. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you don't have that as a foundation, nothing you do means anything. Like, that's the story of the Bible, right? So if I go out and I help the poor, but deep down inside I hate the poor, these people, if they would just work for themselves, why can't they just, like, oh, I'm, I'm abusing that command because I don't have a love for those people. But if Jesus, at the end of his life, as he commissioned his apostles, gave them all authority in Matthew chapter 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28 and verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of what I commanded you. It's got to be based on that foundation, certainly. Without it, it's worthless. And I, and I don't think you are disagreeing with it. Yeah. It's love. And that, I mean, that's 1 Corinthians. We just spent a whole quarter talking about it. He's like, look, you could have all of the spiritual gifts. You could do all of these amazing, amazing miraculous works. And if you don't love God, if you don't love people specifically, he's talking about if you don't love each other, you just make a noise. Um, Alan. You read in 1 Corinthians that they would for spiritual work to perceive fact that what Paul was saying was true, and they would tell others that fact, that that was true. It is our imperative to state that what the words are saying are true. Now, someone else said, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God is proper for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given as a God-breathed word of God. There are things some people said that God was telling us this is incorrect. But it was, it's still God was saying, here's how I want you to perceive it. Through their eyes, I want you to see the incorrect part. 
And to the other side, I want you to see the correct part. But we do not take away from the authority of the Scripture in any way that we must be like them. What they are saying is true. That's right. And, and again, I don't believe that anyone here is saying that what we read here isn't true. I'm simply cautioning us. Um, I don't know anything about Jesus Christ. What he taught, what he did. I don't know anything of his love. I don't know anything of his mercy and his grace. Apart from what was written down. And if I claim to have a spirit of God that prompts me to live and believe and say things, and I can't find those things in what was written down, then whatever spirit is in me is not from God. Absolutely. So I can live as a 
commands and guidelines in a way that will, um, in a way that Jesus' love will overflow abundantly. When we haven't done that, um, that's just been our individual fears and failings, but we can, you know, correct that without um, ignoring what the apostles said. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Paul talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of this building. Right? We, the, the whole thing hinges on that. You remove that and this, this thing's going to crumble. And he talks about what he and the other apostles did as being the foundation built on that cornerstone. And so we do a disservice to the apostles' ministry and to the Holy Spirit because that... It's not their ministry. It's the Holy Spirit's ministry. We do a disservice to the Holy Spirit if we say, I just want that cornerstone. Just give me that cornerstone. I'm going to keep going back to that cornerstone. Well, that cornerstone commissioned these men to do this thing. Gave them authority to, to enact his will. And so I'm going to go back to that whole cornerstone. And I, I believe that that's what, that's what we're saying do we have time to get into 2 Corinthians chapter 3? I'm not trying to. Awesome. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I've asked a few individuals to help us with the context. Paul is making reference, as we mentioned uh, prior, to some Old Testament concepts that I think would be beneficial for us to read first. And then I'd like us to read, uh, we'll do Josh 6 through 18. <laughs> because of time. So, let's see. Can we start with... Luke, did I give you Jeremiah? Okay. Uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Indeed. Thank you. Um, for the sake of time, we're not going to read these passages in Ezekiel, but if you're taking notes, I'll, I'll say them here. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, and then chapter 37, verses 5, 9, and 14, it's a similar image, right? You, you once were dead, you were like these lifeless bones, but I'm going to breathe new life into you, and I'm going to put my word not on this external thing, but I'm going to make sure it gets down deep into you and give you life. Um, let's go ahead and read Exodus 34. Who did I ask? Thank you, Jesse. Exodus 34, verses 29 through uh, 35. When Moses came from Mount Sinai, Called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and 
Thank you. I, I don't know about you all. I, I'm a visual guy. Have they made a movie about this? Part? Like, if they haven't, like, can can we picture it? Try to engage your imagination here. Moses goes up on this solitary mountain and communes with the Lord for forty days and doesn't realize that just standing that close to God has changed the nature of his skin. Like, just picture that. In fact, God tells Moses, if you actually were to see my face, you'd die. Moses is up there so close to the presence of God that it's doing this to him physically. And he doesn't realize it, right? I don't, if it's the mountain I climbed, it doesn't matter. There are no mirrors up there, right? Moses didn't know. It's not until he comes down to the people and they are afraid to even approach him. That's what this messenger of God, that's the reaction they were having to this messenger of God. So with those images in mind, with those ideas in mind, uh, could you read Josh for us back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Um, can, can we do 5 through 18, please? Just read the whole chapter, come on. Are looking in as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you. Oh, oh. Let's start here. What are some things that are being contrasted here? Specifically 5 through 18, 6 through 18. Uh, what are some contrasts that are being made? Uh, Alan? Contrast is being made between the, the spirit and the and death and life and death and the letter and the um, administration of the covenant, the new covenant, the uh, veil, the glory that was and it's being compared to the glory that exceeds mm-hmm. and uh, you know the it's just so fantastic to me to read this particular passage and see how much more glorious the Lord's word is to us today. You know, you get a car and it's glorious, but you go through the years and then you get a new car and it's more glorious. It wasn't that the old one wasn't nice to drive, but this new one is far exceeds and it's so wonderful. And, and so we Are you shopping for a car right now? What's that? Are you shopping for a car right now? No, but I would take one. Okay. No, but I appreciate the car analogy, right? Everything on this earth, cars, phones specifically, they get so, like, it doesn't take long at all for us to go, this thing that was so awesome two years ago, the iPhone 10, we look at that and we laugh. Right? This thing that was, in its time, valuable and worthwhile, we would say impressive, things of this earth, it doesn't take long at all for us to go, wow, what a joke. Um, I mean no disrespect to the Law of Moses. The Law of Moses was not a joke. It was glorious. And he says so. Let's not discount that. But he said, look, when you compare it to what we now have, it, it almost appears as, as, as if it has no glory. Uh, Bob? You know, there's a comparison between storm and heart. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, a lot of the Jews looked at the law of Moses and the laws that came out of that as checklists. And we have a very serious chance of doing the same with that which we have received from the Spirit. If uh, we're not careful, Jesus certainly. in the Sermon on the Mount said, you have heard, thou shalt not kill. That's true. But they were missing the heart of it. Yeah. If, so, if you're angry, you've killed in your heart already. Yes. And, and I think that's something that the Spirit that we see in the New Testament is brought out, even though it was in the Old Testament, it is brought out even more clearly. And so, that's the difference from the Spirit of the letter, where just going, okay, that's what it says on the paper, that's it. I am assuming everyone in this building has a copy of the text, right? It's on your phone, it's in your hands, right? Back during the time of the Law of Moses, when they wanted to hear the words of the Lord, what typically happened 
is they would go to the tabernacle or, or where the priests were, and they would go to this corner room and they would pull out the scroll of a single book, and they would come down and they would read it out loud. And I, I believe that what's being said in this passage is, for most of Israel's history, and I don't want to say all of them, because I think David and others believed it and lived it with their hearts, but for most of them, they came and they brought the word out and it kind of, they heard it and it kind of just, it was this external thing that just kind of prompted behavior, right? And God said from the beginning, that's not what I want you to do with my words. I want you not to keep it in this dusty old corner room and bring it out occasionally. I want you to take those words and write them on your hearts. They're inside of you all the time. So every choice you're making, everything that you're doing, it's, it's, it's coming from a desire to, uh, to do and know God's will. Josh, I'm sorry, Lisa. It helps me and helps me, especially as a new Christian, to realize that well, the glory of the Old Testament was kind of like me having trash in my house. Sin is, sin is horrible. Sin is, God can't even be associated with it. And when I would teach kids class, it's, it's vomitous, it's terrible, it's sinky, you don't want it. So I'm so thankful that um, I can have a trash can and set my trash up on, on the curb once a week. Um, but if, if race trash doesn't come by, it's just going to keep piling up. And that's kind of how the Old Testament was. And, but it helped, it helped us and it helped the Israelites to know that they had sinned. And how God, what his plan was for that through the priests, and, but it was rolling it forward. So the glory of the, of the gospel of righteousness is that that sin is gone. That trash is gone. It, doesn't, it didn't just get picked up and dumped in a, in a landfill somewhere. Yeah. And, and yes, someone does pay the trash for Christ made that for me, and I don't have it on me ever again. Yes. It's not even in, it's not even on my, in my page, in my book. And so that is the glory that has succeeded. But the Spirit has always been there. Even the Israelites were to love God so much, like you said, right. in their heart. Um, the fact that God put His Spirit in us, although that's the most amazing and wonderful thing ever. Yeah. And then provided a plan for us. So that, that was all the new. Yeah. But the difference being that we don't have that role for Right. And uh, yeah, there's so many different ways I've, I've tried to explain it. I don't know if I perfectly can. I, I appreciate your garbage analogy. I can understand that. Um, it, it's like reading 80% of a book and assuming you know the story. Right? Who has read The Lord of the Rings? Come on. Okay. I'm not, okay. You should. It's like reading the two books and going, yeah, I know how this is going to go. N- n- no. Without the end of the story, the first two books are almost worthless. And he's telling these people, look, you're, you're trying to keep going back to Moses and saying you've got the whole story. No, those priests were set up because God was getting ready to give you the ultimate high priest. That tabernacle was set up because God wants you to be his tabernacle. Those sacrifices were done because Jesus, God knew Jesus would be that sacrifice. He said, if you... If you disregard Jesus and just keep saying, no, we've got Moses. No, man, you're reading, you're reading two-thirds of the book and you've missed the ending. Um, if there's more comments about chapter 3, we can save them for next class. Ideally, we'll principally be in chapter 4 on Wednesday. Thank you.